0: Hey, Tim here. Before we start this episode, I'm hoping you could help me out with a really quick favor. As I hope you know, because I try to mention on every podcast, I really, really appreciate you listening. And I want to invest more into the Future of Agriculture podcast and make it more valuable to you. But I can't do that unless I know what you like and what you don't like about the show. And uh, in order to try to find that out, I've created a very, very brief survey. It's only 10 questions. Most are multiple choice. You will go through it very, very quickly. Uh, But if you could please, Please just hit pause on this episode right now and go to futureofag.com, futureofag.com. Front and center, you're going to see something that says feedback and click here for a brief survey. If you wouldn't mind, please fill that out at your earliest convenience. In fact, right now would be a great time so that I can make sure that as we go forward, I'm making this show better for you. Really appreciate that. That's futureofag.com. Click to take the survey. If you have any questions, you can email me, but that would really, really help out as we plan content and approach here for 2020. Thanks so much and enjoy this episode. This is the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies and ideas shaping the future of agribusiness. If you're curious about innovations in ag tech, rural entrepreneurship, ag sustainability or food security, this is the show for you. Let's get started. Hey there, so glad you're joining me for this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich, and it's really my pleasure to bring you these stories every week of the founders, the farmers, the innovators, the investors, the people shaping the future of agriculture. Well, you may remember back in episode 115, if you've been a long-time listener, so about 50 episodes ago, we featured the co-founders of a startup named Farenim. It was part of the series I was doing called Accelerating Ag Tech, highlighting ag tech startups, as well as the accelerator programs that were helping making them successful. And featured a, a company called Farenim that was part of the Indie Bio Accelerator. And they may have done some other accelerator programs as well. But co-founders, Dr. Fotsma Kaplan and Carl Cameron Schiller. They have a company that is essentially using pheromones for biological control, specializing at least in some of these early products with nematodes. Nematodes are microscopic roundworms and they're actually the most abundant animal on earth. Just a lot of people don't know that because they're microscopic. The varying types, the species of nematodes essentially kind of parasitize just about everything. So there's good ones, which would be parasites that can get rid of pests, and there's bad ones, which obviously would be parasites we don't want. But essentially what they do is through pheromones, they encourage these good parasites, these good nematodes to be more hungry, to be more active and to parasitize their host, which is the pests that eat our crops. So imagine if you're Fatima and Cameron, and you're working on your stuff, and all of a sudden, the opportunity comes along to do exactly what you're doing, but to see if it might work in space. And you may wonder, why Why would anyone care if, if pheromones work in space? And actually, there's a really interesting sort of answer to that question. We have the International Space Station. You've heard in previous episodes, including Dr. Ray Wheeler, recently talk about the importance of growing food in space and figuring that problem out. And anytime we try to grow food anywhere, we bring our pests with us, and we're bound to do that in space as well. But other techniques, such as chemical applications, don't work when you're on a limited recirculated air supply. You can't have anything that might get into the air supply that could be damaging to health. And so what do you do? You have to look to biological control. Well, Fatima and Cameron have the chance to do the very first ever agricultural biological control experiment in space. We talk about it on the episode today, first of all, why, how it kind of came about, how they've prepared for it, why this is significant for biological control here on Earth, and what caused them to decide it was worth diverting their attention and their resources over from their startup, Faronym, to also add on this extra project, which has really become its own separate brand called Astra Nematode. Anyway, we get into all that. Before we get into the show, though, I, I do want to give a special shout out because when they came to me this idea with this idea of astro-nematode and asked if I wanted to be a, a media partner of sorts, I said, yeah, that'd be great, but I haven't covered anything about space on my show at all. And they really went to work on connecting me with people. So recent episodes that you've heard and I'm sure loved with, for example, Dr. John Cumbers of Bio Beta, Dr. Ray Wheeler of NASA, and Mike Selden of Finless Foods, all of those are a direct result of their efforts to try to get more sort of space-related stuff on, on this show and in a little bit to prepare for this episode with them. And, and I, since I mentioned Mike Seldon of Finless Foods, I want to go back. Just recently, it was announced that Finless Foods is, is partnering with an Israeli startup called Aleph Farm, which is a 3D bioprinting startup to actually print the very first alternative protein in space, and so we're actually going to be able to 3D print finless foods in space. I think that experiment is coming in the coming months as well, too. But but back to Farinem, I just wanted to add that in there as sort of an addendum to his episode because he came up. Here is my interview with Dr. Fatima Kaplan and Cameron Schiller, co-founders of Farinem and of the Astro Nematode Project. They're going to start off by giving us some background about sort of how this project came to life.
1: Well, we had funding from Florida Space Florida Israel Innovation Grant, and it was we were supposed to relate it to a space project too. And way in the past, I worked for a NASA and Slash Dynamo Corporation, and I was really fascinated by the whole space program. And when we had the opportunity with Space Florida uh, Israel Innovation Partnership. And this was actually a really great way to relate our projects to future space project. Once we got that funding, we also met other groups that were funding, actually sending nematodes to International Space Station. We were very excited about the whole idea of to be able to send our experiment to International Space Station.
2: Yeah, we came up with the the basic idea of how these nematodes would be useful in space with this first grant, but then we went to a the Inter- International Space Station Research and Deva- Design Conference, and that's when we met a bunch of people that got really excited about what we were doing, and we managed to work out a way to fund this project.
1: So first, they had a program, they had a project manager, and we talked to her, and she sent us a two-page pre-proposal uh, document, and we filled it out, and we came up with, all sorts of exciting things that we could do. And they really liked our project and they said, well, the next step is actually to find an implementation partner, somebody who would be interested in your project and would facilitate sending the nematodes to International Space Station. Then we had the advertisement and we, out of many of the companies, we selected NanoRacks. Yep. Then we put together a proposal, they also wrote actually part of the proposal, how to send to ship the samples to International Space Station. They also have the hardware to put the samples in. So together we wrote the project and we also have collaborator from USDA. They helped us out how to design the experiment part of the design. Hmm. All together we submitted and it was well received. They said they could fund us That's and right. we got very excited about it.
2: And now we're busy working on it. I actually spent the morning today putting together a flight configuration experiment to see how the beneficial nematodes would behave at the actual temperature of the space station.
1: Another really great thing about this project is it has immediate applications uh, to our formulation and product development. And it has direct contribution to our commercialization efforts. And at the same time, it produces data that would actually help the basic research scientists too.
0: And you mentioned that it has immediate applications for, you know, what you're trying to do here on Earth. Can you can you talk to us more about that? You know, what have you had to do to prepare for this project? And how has that helped in your, your I don't know what to call your primary business?
1: So let's start with uh, one of the really important thing this particular project required. Actually, there are three. One, it, it has to have an immediate earth application. Second, it is supposed to be in line with NASA's mission. And the third, it should provide actually outreach and then how it could help stimulate other research like basic research and whether we could work with the others. The first two was actually fairly easy because we are working on our mixture, a pheromone mixtures that tells the nematodes they're hungry, they're overcrowded, they need to go out and search for an insect. And with this technology, we can improve the effectiveness of commercial nematodes 28 to 78% for insect control. And the first objective was to test, actually, nematodes would produce the same kind of pheromones or different kind of pheromones in microgravity. First of all, we don't really know actually whether they would produce pheromones. We expect them to produce, but we don't know. And second, whether they would produce actually the same kind of pheromones. And one of the questions actually many people ask, well, uh, what if it doesn't work? Because we are sending these nematodes, it will stay in the International Space Station. And if it doesn't work, there's a month wasted and quite a bit of funds too. And our solution to that was we have a mixture. We know it's working. And if they produce pheromones in the International Space Station in microgravity, if it's a better mixture, it might work actually better than the mixture we have on Earth. Then we have an additional formulation we can work on. If it doesn't work, let's say they didn't produce pheromones or they produce pheromones, but it doesn't really disperse them and makes them more effective, then we can compare those mixtures to Earth control and see what is missing. If that particular component is missing, then we can say, okay, this is the component. We have to have it in our mixture.
0: <laughs> I see. And, and this may be a dumb question, but if you're sending them up there as the beneficial nematodes to control the parasitic ones, or the or the pests, does that mean the pests are already up there? Has someone transported pests up into space?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. No, these are the good guys. We haven't sent the pests there yet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> but it turns out that last year, that was in the, in the newsstand. NASA's clean rooms actually had fungal pathogens. So NASA also, this goes back to the NASA's long-term plans. NASA would like to have routine trips to International Space Station.
2: And, and also to the moon and to Mars.
1: Uh, to colonize the moon and the Mars. Once we have routine trips, we humans have a tendency to take our pests with us. And there are many microscopic insects that are controlled by these nematodes will eventually end up there. And this brings us to the next thing. Indeed, on Earth, the air is, you know, we take it for granted. Not a biggie. If we polluted air here, we can move to over there and be still happy. If we make the air inside the house, we can purge the air, we can get a clean air, open up the windows. But at International Space Station, air is a luxury item. If we make something that releases in the air toxic compounds, We can't just take uh, the air outside, purge it, and replace it with a new fresh air because there's nothing out there. So that would be holding your breath for a long time. So we need to have something eco-friendly that wouldn't pollute the air. So these beneficial nematodes was a good way of utilizing
0: Biology.
1: biology and safe. And it also turns out to be the beneficial nematodes are part of the healthy soil ecosystem. And that makes, improves the soil health. So if you're going to colonize the moon and the Mars, we need to have agriculture. Without food, it would be very difficult to colonize. And if you're going to grow food, we will eventually take soil with us. And when we want to have a good soil, then we have to have these good guys. And one other thing, NASA has a list of animals and things to take to Mars. And one of the animals in that list is a nematode. It is the model nematode, not the beneficial nematodes we are working, but they're very similar. So they're on the list, the nematodes, to go to Mars.
0: Now, wait, it's not a beneficial nematode? Why would they take a non-beneficial one?
1: This is a free-living nematode. Actually, we have learned a lot from the free-living nematode C. elegans. It's a model organism. It is used for neurobiology and for many of the other things to study. And when we were designing our experiments with the beneficial nematodes, we utilized the literature and free-living nematode because we knew that the free-living nematode was able to reproduce
2: in space. And actually, hmm. the C. elegans, we know just about everything there is to know about them. We know how many cells they have when they're adults, we know exactly when the cells divide. Recently, a paper was published that shows how every single neuron in the C. elegans is connected. So, and they, they were also the first animal to have their full genome decoded.
1: And they survived a Columbia shuttle they, crash. Yes. So they're very resilient. So we knew, at least we hypothesized that the beneficial nematodes would survive and reproduce in space. Right. And we also needed them for biocontrol if, uh, when we wanted to test them to see whether they could do infection. They are supposed to reproduce. So... so do you-
0: do you think, I mean, are, are, are these nematodes going to reproduce in space to the point where they're already going to be the most abundant living organism on the Earth <laughs> and off the Earth before we even get to Mars?
1: Well, well they will be second. Tardigrades are
2: first. Okay,
0: tardigrades.
2: <laughs> um, as far as the nematodes on the International Space Station goes, people have already put nematodes up there. They've probably already been the most
0: populous organism on the space
2: station. There are also quite a few microbes on this International Space Station that are, are free living.
0: And so will that what will that be what these nematodes will eat then when they get up there?
2: No, they they're, we're also sending them with a limited amount of food. So we've got these nematodes eat insects. And the insects are going to be packaged with the nematodes. So they, they're going to have to do a little hunting on their way over there. The basic idea is we're going to put some nematodes in an infected host of and then have a barrier of sand between them and the grubs, and we're going to send that up to the space station. The idea is that they're going to leave the infected host cadavers, travel through the sand in microgravity, and then infect a new host and start the life cycle over again. But we're not guaranteed that they're going to be able to leave that the first host that we put them in. So what we've done is we've got another set of experiments where we are putting the nematodes in a gel formulation, polyacrylamide gel, and they're going to be there with the sand and then the grubs.
1: So that way, we eliminated the stage that they had to grow and reproduce in space, so we already put the infected juveniles, so we eliminated that step that they had to get out of the host cadavers. They already got out of host cadavers, so they can. the only thing they have to do is this time travel through the sand. And then we also have infected grubs to make sure that they can actually work on their pheromone production. Exactly so we don't really know how things would work at the microgravity because if you think about it on earth when they infect the insects everything is held by gravity so they can and same thing with the soil we have the capillaries they can go through they can and even for their muscle movement because they move their muscles to move from a point a to point b but over there there is no micro, uh, there is no gravity even to help their muscle movements.
2: Also in microgravity, nematodes, are like every other animal, lose muscle mass.
1: So we don't really know how those things are affected. So let's say they go through the sand, they bump into a sand particle, would it act like an asteroid? We don't really know, would it push it back? But we do know that the- fusion, Diffusion, right. Diffusion is not affected, so they can smell the insects, they can guide themselves toward the healthy insect. And then once they find their insect host on the other side of the sand? And would the host be more tolerant to infection? Because we know things are different in the International Space Station and microgravity by itself is causing stress. Would they be more tolerant to infection? So things might fail just to do, do that. And again, this time they're trying to enter into a host from natural openings, but this host is also floating around in space. So we don't really know whether they could successfully go inside the host and move through the host and get into the host bloodstream and release their bacteria. They have a symbiotic bacteria, which kills the insect and feeds on the insect. They feed on the bacteria. So there could be a number of steps that can go wrong during the pheromone production and infecting the insect host. So we had to take into those steps and to make sure that those steps actually we want to
2: make sure those steps happen at some point, so we can investigate what happened when they if it fails.
0: Right. Well, I've I have some more questions about how you're going to kind of carry out the experiments. But before I get there, I would love to hear the process. So, once you found out you were funded and this was happening, what did that look like? You know, h- how did you frame up your approach? and what actions need to be taken, and then um, and then make sure you tell us when this launch is gonna be.
1: Oh, lots of paperwork. <laughs> lots
0: of paperwork. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean though, like for what? What paperwork needed to be done?
2: Look, first of all, we had to have all of the materials approved. So it starts out with the tubes that we're sending the, the nematodes up in, the sand that we're sending the nematodes up in, the grubs and the nematodes themselves, and even something as minor as the Teflon tape we're using to seal the lids.
1: So they tested that one too. Right. In the past, they used to use parafilm. Because we are working with the pheromones and every contamination competes with the pheromone analysis, we wanted to use the Teflon tubes. So they had to test that one too. In the freezer, because we had one set of samples that was supposed to be in the freezer, they had a concern, well, the water might freeze because we have 10% moisture in the sand and it might explode the tubes. And the Teflon tape would have be sealed because they want to have everything sealed in the International Space Station. We don't want any of the bugs to invade Space Station. Right. So um, they wanted to test that one and that was tested and it passed.
2: It did pass. And then they wanted to uh, us to do the full flight configuration. So that's actually ongoing right now. We've got a, a complete experiment like we are planning on sending to the International Space Station running in our lab. It is, we're doing that to see how everything runs for one and see how the experiment progresses over time because we want to have an idea of when these things are going to happen. And it's most especially to ensure that nothing goes wrong with this experiment while it's on station because they had one instance where they sent the spiders up to the International Space Station. And they also sent fruit flies up with the spiders for food, but the spiders didn't eat as many fruit flies as they thought they would. The fruit flies created a lot of methane, and it made the container they were in expand, which made everybody really nervous.
1: So normally you wouldn't really think about this thing, but once you send the samples to International Space Station, you may not be able to touch your samples for about a month. And you kind of need to predict those things. And the best way to predict is to do Earth experiments.
2: Yeah, to run the experiment so you can see what's going on. And I've actually been running a number of these experiments simply because we've got, we're have under a pretty tight timeline just to get the experiments into our implementation hand, partners' hands before the launch. We have to give them the 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 running experiment, 30 hours before launch?
1: So it does require a lot of organizing every single detail and how much sand we're going to use and how much moisture, whether we're going to ship them ahead of time and whether we need to take them with us uh, on the flight, or if we can't, whether our collaborators would drive them down to Canada Space Center. So we have to think about every single detail.
0: Cool. And, And when is the big launch and what will... Physically describe to us what the you know how will these nematodes be packaged for for this launch?
2: Well, the launch is on December fourth with SpaceX CRX or CRS nineteen. They will be the nematodes themselves will be packaged in uh, fifteen milliliter conical tubes. These are plastic tubes, basically the workhorse test tube of every lab, and they have a screw top. We're going to clean them out really well. They've got some. We're going to start by putting either the nematodes in polyacrylamide gel or the nematodes in infected grubs in the bottom. Drop some sand on top of them. Then uh, put some bait grubs, some live grubs on the very top of that. Screw it shut. Wrap it up with some parafilm and label it. And then we get to send it off to the space station.
1: So we also have controls in polyacrylamide gel just to see whether nematodes would stay alive during that trip. Technically, they should because they live for about
2: they live for uh, six
1: months. months to a year without uh, food. Wow. That the particular life stage we're sending. And we're also sending grubs just by themselves. This, these are Galeria melanola wax forms mm-hmm. or wax moth larvae. And to make sure that whether they just die or the death is due to normal natural causes right. or In general what happens to them during that flight Mm -hmm. if they're not infected so that will be another control and many of the others are different stages of the experiment
2: exactly well so
1: but the main experiment is going to be one side is the nematode they have to go through the sand find the target insect and infect the insect and then whether they would produce pheromones or not it also happens to be the first agriculture biocontrol experiment in space.
0: So cool. And when they leave December fourth, when will they arrive at the International Space Station?
1: They're, it's
2: actually ten minutes later. Yeah, <laughs> ten minutes later they're going to be in, in space in microgravity. The arrival is it depends. Sometimes the fastest from ground to the station has been I think six hours they recently made that made that record. But it could be anywhere up to a week before they arrive on, on station. But regardless, as far as our science goes, being in microgravity is what's important. And we'll keep you guys updated on when it gets to the space station. That'll definitely be posted on the astronaut website. website. I'll put it out on all of the astro-nematodes social media.
0: And will you be collecting the data on the nematodes uh, as soon as they get to the space station in transit? Um, or, you know, how are you making sure that you're tracking what's happening while you're you're unfortunately left here on Earth while the nematodes have all the fun in space.
2: Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm really bummed about this. <laughs> I do not get to go play on the space station. But we have made this a very hands-off experiment. It's basically a sealed box until it gets back down to us, and then we open it up and we do our analysis.
1: To test whether they're still infective or whether they produce pheromones. But we did make sure that they stay at ambient temperature. Right. And they did have a temperature range for it. They give us, and
2: that's the temperature range is right, right where the nematodes are happy, and that's good for us. Good for the nematodes. Uh,
1: we do have a same setup on Earth. We, these are the Earth control, but for some of the things we can test it based on the Earth control. We will have some extra uh, tubes just to sacrifice whether they would technically in fact, go through the sand. Whether the Earth control did. Based on that, we can predict what's happening up in space.
2: Yeah, but there really isn't much you can do as far as monitoring them in, in space because these are little microscopic animals, they're moving through soil. It's very hard to see anything. We're not gonna we're never gonna have any pictures because yeah, they're in the soil.
1: Even on Earth, you know, when they're inside the soil, it's very difficult to see. That's why many of the assays we do is on ACAR plates, so we can see them.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Although if you the uh, astro nematodes instagram page you will see some pictures of the nematodes in our flight configuration setup where they've been, they've been traversing the tube
1: you could actually see them Yeah, uh, you can see we them. did take the pictures
0: uh so so it sounds like then if i'm understanding correctly they go up with with their potential hosts you know with them are they disturbed at all by anyone in space or it just goes up sits up there for a while and comes back and then you do all the analysis
2: that's right. It goes yes. up, sits there for a while, comes back down, and we do,
0: our, do the hard work. Very, very interesting. Well, I understand why NASA would want to do this. As you said earlier, Fatima, it makes perfect sense that. If we do bring food production systems like crops into space, we're gonna bring pests with us, even though we're gonna try hard not to, we're going to, and we can't just spray up there because we, we only have so much air. So that makes sense. And so we need some sort of biological control. I'm curious though, from from you know your standpoints, the the two of you, I know why this would be a personal interest to you. It's space, it's cool, but you're also building a startup which is which is known as, you know, kind of one of the hardest things in the world to do, you know, to build a successful company from scratch scratch. How have you been able to, to balance the two? And why were you confident that this was something that was worth kind of your attention and your resources in this delicate phase of building a young company?
1: It fits very nicely to our existing uh, projects.
0: This entire
2: Astro Nematode project is actually a an offshoot of another project that we've got running to begin with that helps us come up with our formulation. We are looking at lots of different nematodes and their dispersal signals. In order to come up with the best formulation for us to use with the most kinds of nematodes and since we have this opportunity to try these nematodes out in microgravity see what kind of stresses that gives to them and see how that affects their their pheromone production it's it keys in with our the work that we're already doing very nicely
1: and there is one other grant we have if we were looking at the different stresses and microgravity was another stress and it fit right in.
2: Exactly. <laughs> and then we get to do all kinds of other cool science with it.
0: Yeah. And, and why did this need its own unique brand? Why not? Was this just kind of an initiative within Farinim?
1: Yes. The first time when we wrote this grant, and one of our advisors said, "Patma, this is really such a cool project. It might take over your brand. And we talk, we liked the astronemator. We liked the mission patch. Part of the grant was also to develop a mission patch. So we didn't want astronemator to take over our brand because pherom is a pheromone company. We are not a nematode company. Astronemator project is a very exciting project. We work with nematodes, but we are not a nematode company. Right. So once we had a separate website. So, we could actually uh, do not let the Astronomer take over our company and the brand. Right. Which we work very hard to brand, and branding is not very easy. But astronomy by itself is really great. It's a really great outreach because we can get to talk about biocontrol in general, even though we talk about biocontrol in space, but people also ask biocontrol on Earth. It's a really, it turned out to be a really great outreach brand.
2: That's
0: right. As That's right.
1: part
2: of fairness.
0: Yeah. and everybody loves loves it oh yeah it's got like a it's, it's developing a cult following and I, I'm sure this this podcast will will have add some more to the uh, to the group that are, that are huge fans of Astro nematode One question for you all uh, when you when you get this package back and I'm sure it, you're going to be extremely excited to dive into this what does that analysis look like Are you counting live nematodes versus dead nematodes are you counting hosts? How many hosts have been occupied w- what are you looking for? and what will be the end result of all this uh, as far as the data?
1: The first thing we are going to be looking at, whether actually these nematodes were able to go through the sand and kill the insect host. And then we are going to be looking at inside those insects, uh, whether they reproduced or whether this actually happened after they come back. And we also have samples. We take it out in space and freeze it and look at the insect immune system whether how, how the insect immune system responded. So we will know whether they are, uh, they actually infected in space or not. The second is to look at the pheromones. So the infected grew up in space and the ones we infected on earth and they are supposed to reproduce and produce pheromones, whether they produce the same kind of pheromones. And then we are going to be using the control to see whether their infectivity is affected and whether they could reproduce again hmm. and these are based on the grants but there are a number of other things we can do we haven't gotten funding for it
2: partners help us with
1: yes that one we are recruiting partners if anyone is interested we can look at what happens to the nematodes at the transcript and metabolite level overall the ones on earth space traveled and space-born nematodes
2: okay that's right and then also- we'll be able to look at how their symbiotic bacteria was affected by microgravity and space travel.
1: Because we don't really know, and if you heard it from the news, the bacteria in space behaves very differently, they're more infectious, so we don't really know whether symbiotic bacteria become more infectious, hmm. which might be a good thing, because they would be more effective. Right. And whether that overall affects their longevity, we don't really know. And in general, how the space travel would affect their survival and other life-related traits. So we would be looking at those things. And of course, some of these things, we need the partners to look at it.
0: Yeah, yeah. because Just because of the cost associated with the analysis, I imagine.
2: Yes. Um, we're, you know, We are experts in a lot of things, but we're not experts in everything.
1: So working with experts is, for us, a better way of
0: moving forward. Sure, that makes sense. And you may have mentioned this earlier. I'm sorry if I missed it. How many total nematodes are you sending to space?
1: Oh, let's see. Total nematodes are quite a bit. (laughs) (laughs) But we are sending 18 tubes. And out of 18, 15 tubes will have nematodes in them or nematode-infected grubs. the
2: nematode-infected grubs, they have what? How many? Hundreds of of thousands?
1: Each tube has, let's see, 12 tubes have at least around 2,000 nematodes. And the three tubes have 40,000 each, 120, maybe around 150,000 nematodes.
2: Hmm. And then they're, they're going to have babies.
1: So once they have babies, we don't really know how many nematodes we would have. So we'll have more <laughs> nematodes back. Our marketing advisor was so excited about it. He says, Oh, Fun, you can actually sell the space nematodes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: <Progeny>. That's <laughs> right. But I think people will be disappointed when they get like a little drop of water, is, is all they get in <laughs> when they when they buy those space nematodes.
2: They can <laughs> see
1: it under the microscope. This particular one we are sending is a little bigger than the other nematode we work with. We are working with two nematode species, but this one's actually fairly visible.
2: It's fairly visible. I use a little a handheld microscope to scope them out on the uh, on Instagram.
1: And even actually, our original microscope was $60 Celestron. You could hook it up on the computer with a USB and you could actually
2: see them. Yeah, that's the microscope I used to make the Instagram pictures.
0: Oh, wow. If somebody's listening and they might be a, a great partner or supporter or just a fan of this, you know, what, what does a supporter look like? Or what type of people are you looking to, to connect with and how should they reach out to you?
1: They could reach out to us through our website, or they can send me an email, fkaplan at baronim.com.
2: Yes, and our website has a link. It says, join the mission. You click on that link, and you can uh, make a donation to the mission, and we will put your name on the website, and we'll send you some astro-nematode swag.
1: For the big companies, they can also do donations. Yes,
2: if there's so, if there's somebody, some company that wants to sponsor astro-nematode, we would put them on the website, too, in, in a flashy fashion, and refer to them all the time. We are also looking for partners, that are scientists that can help us with these various other projects that we've talked about, like the epigenetics and the
1: long-term, effect long-term on effects the...
2: on the nematode's infectivity. We can do that pretty well ourselves. But if we wanted to do genomics, or that sort of thing with them, that's stuff that we don't really have the capability to do. Sure. So we
1: would definitely welcome so, any yeah, two if, interested scientists from the universities.
2: Yeah, any interested parties that want to work with us on that. We'd love to hear from you. Bama gave us your, gave you her email. My email is shiller at com, And you can get to me literally by typing into the contact us page on astro nematode or Farinim.
0: Hey, thanks so much to Dr. Fatsma Kaplan and Cameron Schiller of Faronym and Astronematode for being back on the show for a second time. Make sure you go to their website, astronematode.com, and learn more about what they have going on. And if you're at all interested in getting involved, they would love to have you. They're extremely responsive, extremely excited about this project, and would love to get in touch with you there. So go to astronematode.com. And that launch is coming up December 4th, 2019 on the SpaceX CRS-19 it's coming up very, very soon here. So hopefully you'll stay tuned for that. I I think this stuff is just really, really cool, not just in terms of space, which is, you know, just has this element of mystique to it anyway, but I'm a bit of a nematode nerd from way back. If you, if you didn't catch on to that, I I think this stuff is very, very fascinating. Happy to share it with you here. Also, when we think about the future of agriculture, not just the literal, you know, future of agriculture, should it be in space, but I, I think it's important to innovate under extreme constraints like this. And I, I think the insights that come from projects like this astro nematode project are, are very, very likely to produce insights, not just for producing food in space, but here on earth as well as we continue to increase the amount of constraints we're under when it comes to resources, etc. Anyway, like that, I hope you did too. Thanks so much for your time, your attention, your interest in the future of agriculture. We'll be back next week with another Ag Innovator.